So I want to respect everybody's time. And uh, first of all, say hello to everybody. For those of you who I have not met, uh, I am Darren Katz, the very proud and excited incoming head of school. And I, if, if I haven't met you, I certainly look forward to doing so in person this summer or certainly in the fall. Um, on behalf of the administrators who are on the Zoom, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today for this first parent focus group. We are um, happy that you've chosen to join us so that we can discuss our reopening plans for the fall and specifically for eighth grade parents. We wanna hear your feedback about what went well and what might not have gone so well, certainly with respect to remote learning. And this is very important as part of our reopening process as we continue to work for the fall in the safest and healthiest manner. So I just have a few opening comments. As you hopefully read in my email update last week, our campus will reopen for in-person learning unless government regulations prevent us from doing so. And at this time, our campus reopening task force, which is chaired by John Pitcher, Hillel's chief op operating officer, in consultation with our medical advisor and our academic leaders, we believe that all students will be able to return to our beautiful facility on a daily basis in the fall, albeit with physical distancing guidelines in effect. So we're blessed with a spacious campus, flexible classrooms, and extensive indoor and outdoor spaces. And in addition, as you know, our low student-teacher ratio, which I understand is among the lowest of any school in the area, provides us with the ability to implement all necessary safety and hygiene protocols while still emphasizing key skills that are at the core of what we do at Hillel. Creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, community, and of course, our core Jewish values. Now we are planning for modifications to some of our normal school routines, and we can get into those in more detail later. For example, our lunch program and physical education. But I wanna emphasize on behalf of our team that we are committed to providing a complete range of academic and co-curricular programs, including all specialties with physical distancing protocols. It is important to note that in every conversation that we have about next year, we discuss the paramount importance of the social emotional health of your children. We don't want them to fear coming to school. So while we must abide by regulations provided by the CDC and the state of Michigan, we will design a program so that your children can just be children and come to school without fear. And I see my dear colleague, Kim Love, shaking her head because that is important for all of us. All models of asynchronous and synchronous online instruction are being evaluated in order to best meet the needs of our students and ensure that they continue to learn, remain engaged, strengthen relationships, always being mindful of the amount of screen time that is healthy for students. So there's a one-to-one -one program already in place for fifth to eighth graders, and of course that will continue next year. And lastly, we recognize that there may be students, families, and staff who may have a heightened health risk and or they're just not ready to return to our facility. So in the flexible model, 
our on-campus learning with physical distancing will happen concurrently with the remote learning option for these constituents. In all honesty, this is the model that requires the most careful planning, and we are working diligently on this. So our focus group today will give you an opportunity to ask questions, voice concerns, give us your thoughts. This will be an open dialogue. So I wanna thank those parents who submitted questions ahead of time because they were able to give us a sense of the pulse of the community. And those questions fell into the following buckets. So physical distancing procedures, how lunch and recess will work, what will the remote schedule look like, what are the health and safety protocols, and then questions about tuition. Please understand that there may be answers we do not yet have because we do not have the guidelines from Governor Whitmer's Educational Task Force. And of course, we need to see the course of the virus over the summer. As always, we will be honest about what we know, what we do not yet know, and when we hope to have answers, hope being the key word in that sentence. So I do wanna let everyone know that this focus group is being recorded so that we can refer back to it if necessary. I now wanna open up the floor per se to start the dialogue. Please ask your questions and I will direct them to the appropriate staff member or that staff member will just jump right in. So who you wants want to start? Do you want us to verbally do this or do you want us to type into the box? You can verbally do it. Maybe just raise your hand if you want to ask a question. So Shalom, go ahead, please. Oh, okay. Um, so one of the things that we noticed that was missing um, from our kids' experience was any connection to tefillah. Um, I know that the school offered a daily or several times a week tefillah, but it was a one-size-fits-all type of situation. Um, and I, I you know, you know, given that we were thrown into this kind of overnight when this whole thing hit, um, but is there any thought on how we could address that and, you know, considering the possibility of online and also the, uh, as a congregational rabbi thinking, of, I, I'm faced to think about uh, singing in synagogue um, or singing in tefillah, how can we teach to the soul as well as to the mind, I guess? How can we, how can we really bring in those elements of experiential Jewish learning that's so important to building Jewish souls as in addition to the information that's being taught really well through Tanakh and you know other classes? Is it okay if I jump in and take this? Yes, Great. please. Um, so great to see everyone. I'm Amira Soleimani, Director of Judaic Studies Curriculum Instruction. I think I know most of you guys here. Um, thank you, Rabbi. That's a great question and one that myself and Rabbi Fain have been thinking about quite a bit in the last two months. Like you mentioned, when remote learning started, this was what we thought was a two-week shtick. Um, and so we're like, oh, great. Tefillah will happen just a handful of times. It'll be for the entire community. This is a no-brainer. And then really, sort of, if, you've, if anybody here has seen Tefillah, um, you know, on their ch child's computer or as they're on Zoom, um, you can sort of see we had like the growing pains as we hit the month of May. Um, we have been thinking a lot about how to make Tefillah work, especially when the core of Tefillah is community, and that's going to be 
you know, bringing people together for B'nai Mitzvah next year is going to be a new challenge. Um, we're playing with different models. Thank God the structure of um, the 7-8 community is such that we could even have small groups in different classes and somehow open up sliding doors, have kids in the different kikars, the open spaces, and facilitate a Torah reading in that manner with one central location. So we're thinking about the different models of what it would look like in the building. In terms of remote, and I'll add one other piece to that, which is if any of you have children in um, the fifth and sixth grade community, Gesher, uh, you likely, um, Rabbi, you probably know, you're likely familiar with Tefillah Rotations. This is something we're expanding into the 7-8 community under Rabbi Fain's um, leadership and guidance next year uh, to make sure that we really are nourishing not only a ch each child's ability to be skillful um, leaders and participants in their minion experience, but to also make sure that they're getting that nourishment so that their soul engages in the experience as well. Regarding remote learning, it looks like I'm, this is again, early planning, but I would be comfortable saying that it will be much more um, divided next year into different communities on remote learning with a high priority for seventh and eighth graders to have um, required attendance and Monday, Thursday um, Torah reading. So the one piece that was really missing in remote learning was Torah reading and, and Rabbi Fain and I are talking through what it could look like if we partnered with different shuls in the area, synagogues, temples, to actually make that Torah reading happen um, through a variety of different avenues. So I appreciate you raising the question. I think that, that you're spot there, on. You say remote learning, you're talking about remote learning to feel like if we have, to, if we're forced back Exactly, in. if the building okay. is shut down and we're back in remote learning, we're already you know, trying to think through how can we prioritize Torah reading days and make sure that it is still community focused and uh, required for students. So I agree entirely that this is an area of growth and a high priority in terms of nourishing each kid. Just one one resource that might be out there, and I don't know, but I know that Camp Ramaz across the country are doing online tefillah by Ada by age group, and they are developing all kinds of curriculum or, or stuff, and you might be able to piggyback onto some of that. Amazing. I'll take a look. Thank you. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Eden, did I see your hand up? Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be like a devil's advocate at, in any means. And I, you know, obviously we send our kids to Hillel for the religious aspect of it. However, um, I mean, with, in our situation, I know a lot of Zachary's friends and, um, you know, the only, re the only time Zachary part really participated in Minion was when a teacher specifically asked him to, to lead the service, which he was thrilled to do and happy about it. But I think with, as far as the remote learning is concerned and, and the prayers, I think it is difficult because they are in front of that screen for, you know, an extended period of time. And then they're really, it's not on their high priority list to also go to Minion. So maybe, um, changing it up a little bit also on remote learning and making it maybe a little more of a, not elective, but um, different, maybe like something about physical education and how it affects Minion. I don't even, I mean, that's just something off the top of my head, but like I know in our house, unfortunately, it, it just, it was not a priority. I mean, he did it maybe the first couple times. And like I said, again, 
when um, he was asked. But beyond that, it definitely was not on his priority and really on none of his friends' um, priority list, unfortunately. I hear what you're saying. Did appreciate when he, he lied. I know that uh, uh, I heard that it, it was very successful. Um, yeah. Some of the days where I, I think I bumped into you in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, probably. And I think, I think going along with what you said and just linking back to Rabbi's question, frequency is also um, something that we're going to be thinking through. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about 40, you know, if, if we have to go back to remote learning and it's, if we're in school, that's a whole nother ball game because it should go back to the way that, you know, as much as how they were used to having Minion and, you know, that is 100% what I would expect. But as far as if we go back to remote learning, um, I definitely think there's got to be a better way to engage, especially the older kids, um, to make them want to be there and not just have, you know, prayers and I'm not I'm not trying to like be a devil's advocate in any or negative in any way it's just I know from our experience and I from a lot of his friends thanks Eden a, a lot yeah. of hi everybody thanks hi. for being here um, I think so much of of the remote learning certain aspects of it will depend if we start school in person so if we're able to start school in person specific to seven eight to fila um, we're hoping these rotations will start and they'll be, you know, for, for students like Zachary or, or his friends that you're saying, you know, aren't so engaged in it. We're hoping that those rotations will start and yeah. then there's smaller cohorts of online Zoom that might may be more um, appealing um, to, you know, these seventh and, and eighth graders. So every day we pray that, that we're in the building for I know. <laughs> enough time that we can make these Absolutely. personal connections and start some yeah. routine. Yeah. So you'll probably hear me say this over and over again, but unless the government tells us we can't, we're going to be in the building in the, for the start of the year. We're in for that. Right. And we are just, we're, look, we're blessed with a building that allows mm -hmm. us to do so. And um, so that is what our campus reopening task force is working nonstop on is how can we get all of our kids in the building on a daily basis while maintaining physical distancing protocols, whatever they may be at the time, because what they are right now may or may not be what they are come the end of August. Uh, so I just, I, I wanna reiterate that as many, as many times as I can, what, cho what choice number one is for all of us. Can I jump in here and, and just say one of the things we struggled with as a family with older kids was uh, just the biology of teenagers and anything that was optional in the morning, sleep one out every single time. So I don't know if you'd thought like if we do end up or if you end up going remote, maybe having a later start time for older kids, I think that might help them out in participation a, a little bit if that's possible. So Barbara, do you want to address, address that? Yeah, I mean, that's, we definitely do a lot of talking about what's developmentally best depending on age, and that's a huge variance between fifth and eighth grade, which we know. So we can't just think about it in terms of the middle school. Um, and we definitely know that, that those, you know, the, the eighth graders were probably not waking up for the, the 850 announcements every morning. Um, <laughs> sorry, Melissa. Um, so we, we will absolutely keep that in mind and work to balance, you know, we don't want 
families having to make that fight every morning and also want to make sure that we get all of the learning in before, you know, 4 p.m. in the afternoon or whatever it is. And there's a lot of different structures that we're, we're looking at to make sure that happens. You know, one thing that, that I thought of when Melissa was saying that we're hoping to start in person is also if we have to be remote at any time next year, we know how to plan for it. We thought we were going into two weeks of remote learning and, and it was sort of like, all right, we're going to do our best. Now we know we can think about when kids wake up. We can think about, um, you know, what days classes are on. We can think about what that looks like in terms of pumping it out if, if we think it's going to be for a long period of time. So we're absolutely keeping in mind the different age groups and being really planful this time versus what, you know, within 24 hours having to put something together. Okay, thank you, Jody. Um, just to piggyback on to, to those two comments, um, my son's baseball tournaments have started up and I was talking to a, a fellow parent who happens to be a teacher at uh, Country Day. And she was saying that, you know, again, everything changed for them after the first couple of weeks. And they, um, she's an eighth grade teacher. After those first couple of weeks, they didn't start with their eighth graders till 1230 because they knew that they were all sleeping in and, you know, that it wasn't worth a fight. Okay. If anybody on the, any administrator see any hands go up that I might not see, please. Okay. Um, Rebecca, star. Hi, everybody. Um, I just have a couple, one, one thought from what's been sort of already said and then another question to move it to maybe a different category. Um, I was just thinking about what Eden said about, um, you know, when Zachary was called upon to do something, he was willing to do it. And I think, you know, I just the experience of Caleb's Bar Mitzvah, um, when he was called upon to do it, it really added a lot, I think, and his friends were there and the class came on. Um, so if there is a, a time when we do need to kind of do this remotely, I think pre-assigning and really encourage these kids who have the skills to step up is probably a good way to think about it. Um, but that was just an observation from, from our experience. And then the second thing I was really sort of wondering about, um, have you thought about sort of slide? I mean, we talk about summer slide, but I'm a little more concerned about like six-month slide here. Um, especially as it relates to Hebrew language acquisition um, and sort of how you're going to address that maybe might have happened. Um, and perhaps even like over the summer, some things that maybe you could recommend um, we could be doing because I, I really felt, especially when it came to Hebrew language, there was a significant drop in skill level. Um, so I'm just wondering if you've been thinking about, about that and what that means for the fall in terms of kind of catching kids up. Making sure I, my kids aren't. Oh, oh go ahead, Amira, and then I can tag on to. Go ahead. For sure. Well, specific to Hebrew, um, I think that we are all, you know, sort of, and the Hebrew teachers are in on this conversation as well, sort of aware of, of the unique challenges um, in trying to impart a skill that's conversational, which is, you know, unique in that sense, and doing it remotely. Um, there are, you know, I've spoken about this with some other people on, on this on leadership, that there are these great programs like Rosetta Stone that have all these years of figuring out how best practices and how to do it. And here our, our Tsevet, our Hebrew teachers were like, and now we're just going to throw it all online and, and sort of try and make it work. Um, thank God there, there 
experience and highly collaborative. Um, so in terms of when we go back in the fall, I know that they, they could tell each other down to, you know, a unit and the portion of the unit and the week in the unit of where certain individual students left off. Um, and so the slide piece, I, I'm, I'm very confident that the baton will sort of be passed in a way that, that the starting point can be readjusted. Um, but you raise a great question about sort of getting out ahead in terms of best practices if we need to go to remote learning again. And the ideal platforms for um, you know, skill acquisition for a language. Um, and thank God we have Marnie, uh, who has been incredible with getting the seven, eight teachers accustomed to different platforms. And I think that continuing to expand their um, repertoire, whether it's you know, um, using Zoom and getting into Zoom rooms, so that com small conversations and that like collaborative classroom spoken piece can be grown and fostered. Um, but yes, the, the challenge now, I think over the summer is really making sure that we have the tools if we were to go into remote learning again to use best practices. There, there are also, we are having some summer experiences, classes ranging from, um, from ECC4s to incoming eighth graders that should go out today. And some of those classes are a week-long courses, an hour class a day, and taught by our faculty. And there is some, I don't, I don't remember the age, incoming age groups, but there is some Hebrew-speaking classes that are offered. And then also with the summer learning where we have some required and then it's all online, there is some, um, some resources for Ivrit as well. And then maybe repeating what Amira said, but we do have curriculum coordinators and we met at the end of the year with them and we talked about what what were some of the losses that we that we took from this and we also talked about the good stuff and the gains and things they then that we learned. Um, they're very aware and the and the teachers are are just as um, I don't know if anxious is the right word, but they want so badly for the students to be back where they would be typically and they're doing everything they can and it's everybody, you know, like sometimes there's summer slide for 15% of our kids, but this is everybody and they're really looking at the benchmarks and how to restart the year to, you know, review enough, but then get everybody, you know, back to where they're supposed to be. I just throw one thing out there. We are trying to set up summer um, boundaries for our kids, and we gave them X number of hours per day of screen time, but we told them that if they watch shows in Hebrew, which there's a lot on Netflix, it doesn't count towards their daily allotment of screen time. And there's a lot of shows that they already know the words, so when they watch it in Hebrew, they can pick up quite a few nut words, because I can do it with them or even without them, and it's just another way. Yeah, also just the Rosetta Stone that you mentioned is brilliant and they have a kid's version and it's also free. So my kids have been doing that. Really? But I, I think, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's just good to maybe send that out to people, like especially if you're not a Hebrew speaker and parents can't actually help. I know that's been a huge frustration. Um, so maybe there's just some resources that we can send out. Yeah, Rebecca, I, I actually, the, the feedback, you know, we, we have to relook at like our, our summer expectations. And sometimes we put in such an emphasis on um, reading an English book and that the Hebrew stuff is there, 
but perhaps we need to send out a, an additional like push page or specifically about Ivrit and Judaics with, because we have a ton of resources, but they probably get buried amongst other things. So that that's something that, that we should do and we can include Rosetta Stone on it. Yeah. And I think too, it's just, it's scary when you, when you don't in your home, you don't know how to do something like for sure. I'm not doing algebra. I could tell you that. Um, Hebrew I can handle, but not the algebra. So I think if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, you might avoid it more. Amen. If you guys do recommend um, in weekly emails or monthly emails, um, Israeli movies that the kids would appreciate or, you know, things like that, um, whether they're Israeli or just American ones that have been dubbed, um, would love some recommendations there. Okay. Thank you. Those are great questions and good suggestions. Um, okay, there was a question that came up in the chat. Um, it was just sent to me privately, which, but I'm going to bring it up publicly with permission. There's a question regarding how eighth graders next year will make up for all the trips and holidays next year. So, um, in terms of the, the missed, the incoming eighth graders, is that the question? Yes. Okay. So the plan as of right now is that the incoming eighth graders will have their DC trip in the fall. Um, and they'll, they'll sort of have, um, I don't know, a little bit of a benefit because they have even extra learning. I was talking to Nicole Miller and Josh Cutler about this and they were sort of excited of the opportunity of having seventh graders who had been through their whole year then go to DC. Um, so they'll take that trip in the fall of next year and then they'll continue they'll go on their eighth grade trip as well is is our hope and plan right now so it's not like they're losing anything next year they're just, sorry they're just adding to it in terms of holidays i'm not sure what the question is well the question is hi it's alice miller is my question um, hi alice. hey how are you great thank you sorry i'm outside of my videos just not i don't i don't think you can see me um so the question is because I mean, they were really bombarded with work the last three months, which was great because the truth is they had a lot of downtime and it kept them very busy and it was great. I'm concerned that next year in order to make up because they have extra travel time and extra holiday time and more time off than they would typically have in a year. And it is their last year. I'm concerned that when they're not traveling or it's not a holiday, they're going to really get slammed with work. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, I'm all about giving them tons of work, but I know that it was very stressful in the last few months. And I'm wondering, well, if we shut down again and they have to make up all this work, how are we going to handle all that? Okay. I understand. So we definitely heard the feedback of, um, the, the work, especially at certain times, which we also see when we're, when we're in our physical school is that it sort of goes in waves. Um, but we definitely heard the feedback that there were times where the kids really felt that the work was too much, even with their sort of the idea of having time at home. So we plan, you know, when we're in our building in the seven, eight teacher room, there's a big calendar that shows when everyone is doing bigger projects, how long they're lasting, where there's assessments, things like that. So we are, are figuring out ways to make sure that the kids are getting sort of an equal amount of work over time, depending on what's happening in each of the classes. I don't think that the 
the holidays or the trips will have a huge impact. In fact, a lot of our holidays in the fall are on the weekends. Um, and so we're not missing as much school as we do in other years. And the, the DC trip, the, the teachers and the leadership will be really aware of what that, that learning time outside of our normal you know, classroom structure, whatever that structure is, um, how that will impact the kids. But we heard that feedback and we will definitely make sure that with the teachers, we're making sort of a more even workload for the students. And then if there's ever times, you know, I spoke to parents throughout, throughout the course of remote learning of, you know, it, it may also be that at certain times, certain kids need a little bit of adjustment and we're always open to that. Um, and sometimes it's, it's just kids and families hearing that whatever's happening is really hard, especially the past three months. This was, you know, as everyone says, it's unprecedented. And so they had a lot of trouble with through projects because a lot of kids, they had to learn how to look things up on the internet in a responsible way where it wasn't just copying things. And that was, I think, a very big factor for them this year was learning how to do research on their own without being able to go to the teacher every five minutes and not mm -hmm. copying things verbatim. That was massive. I know for Jacob, it took, it took us about a week before he was able to just do it on his own and understand the responsibility of looking up information on the internet. Um, that was huge. I mean, but now he was able to do his slide presentations and everything well after that. But whenever it was group projects, it really didn't work very well because they did a lot of talking, but then there was always one kid left to do the work. Yeah, um, Alice, I, to everybody, I had mentioned the curriculum coordinator meeting and, and through that meeting, things like that came up. So for example, we get thrown into remote learning, but the kids were never taught, how do you have a deep discussion on Zoom? How do you do um, research pro projects on your own? How do right. you, all these things that are, that we didn't get a chance to teach our kids, some know, but a lot don't teach right. our kids through an online format. So knowing that it's possible we go back to remote learning, that is a goal of ours to take, you know, an ECC4 to eighth grader. What are the skills that they need to know in order to learn to the highest effect online, to be able to have deep discussions with their peers, to be able to go in breakout rooms and, and you know, learn um, collaboratively, so, so that's definitely a goal for our benchmarks at the beginning of the school year. All right, thank you. I just wanna add one thing, Alice, and for all of the other parents, with respect to the DC trip, um, I know that Nicole, was, um, Nicole Miller was uh, planned to get in touch with, the, with the, the planning company or the hotel to find out if, typically to find out if we can get more rooms to spread the kids out among more rooms, maybe put a cot into each of the rooms to just increase physical distancing. No promises, but I want you to know that's an important consideration for us. So I just wanted to add that. Okay, I think um, Mara Moss, did you have a question? I did, and uh, thank you. And my question is actually more towards the social than the intellectual than the learning. So especially in eighth grade and seventh grade, you know, the kids want to be with each other. 
and I don't know how much is individual schools decisions and how much is state mandated. But my question is like when I told Samantha, you know, there's still going to be social distancing at school next year and whatnot. Her first question to me was, will I be able to eat lunch with my friends? And then, um, uh, the other question I have is about masks, like teaching with masks, having kids sit in the classroom with masks on six, seven hours a day. I just, I'm wondering what the feedback is that you've had in discussions yourself. So I can talk about this a little bit, Mara. Um, this is definitely a huge consideration for us and something we have talked about that it's going to be critical that we strike the balance between physical safety and social emotional safety. And while we can't make specific decisions right now, just because we don't know what the course of the virus is going to look like um, and where we're going to be come end of August, but it's something that we're definitely talking about and we want to make sure that we are giving the kids as much opportunity as we can to be social with one another, to see one another's faces, to see our expressions. And so while um, masks may be necessary, and again, we don't know in which, which way, it could be all of us, it could be just teachers, it could be um, the clear visors for teachers so you can still see faces. We, those decisions aren't made yet, but it's definitely a huge consideration for us right now. And then also on top of that, Mara, we realize that um, coming back to the building is really um, coming back after something that has been traumatic for all of us. And so um, we're lucky to be coming back with three mental health professionals on staff. And the three of us are going to be going through training this summer to learn about trauma-informed schools to make sure that we are giving extra support to all of the kids, not just the ones that maybe sometimes need extra support, but all of the kids. Um, and that we are talking about emotions regularly and talking to kids um, you know, about anticipatory anxiety, about getting sick, or separation anxiety from leaving their parents or siblings or even just their comfort zone and being at home. There are all these things that we're, we know we're going to be coming back to that is not typical for a regular return to the school year. So while I can't tell you right now that yes, everybody will be masked or no, nobody will be masked, it's definitely something that we're planning for and doing a lot of learning on um, this summer. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, Mara, I'll jump in. Uh, I'm John Pitcher. I'll jump in on the, on the love lunch. Um, every bit of guidance I've read and every webinar I've been on um, talks about not bringing all the kids together for lunch. So I think it's a virtual certainty that the students will be having lunch in their classrooms. Um, so they'll be with their friends, but with their one class of friends as opposed to everyone. Unfortunately, I think that that's going to happen everywhere. They, they just can't. It's just advised not to bring everyone together to one room. No, I, I understand that and I appreciate it. I just, from the perspective of a 12 or 13 year old, those are the things that are important because yeah. if not, my daughter's just as happy to stay at home and do it on the computer. The whole, one of the main reasons she wants to go back is for the social interaction. She misses her friends. Yeah. And, and Mara, we completely understand that. And I think every summer, 
um, Melissa and the directors and I are very mindful of the groupings and the, um, how we schedule kids and who we schedule kids with. But we're going to be extra careful when we are doing that this year to make sure that every child has a person or two um, with them so they can feel that social comfort at the times that are natural to socialize. Thank you. I can ask one more question. Um, one of the uh, the only place where academically we saw some problems were in the classes where a teacher attempted, and some did it really well and some not, to have the entire grade at one time and splitting things up. And it was, uh, it worked on a few cases and in a few cases it was not so good. And I realized yeah. we're aiming back for, you know, to be back, as, as, as Darren said, we're, we're aiming to be back in the building. But if there are times when we're not, can you address changes? Yeah. We, we will maintain small class size if we go back to remote learning. Um, there's no question about that for us. It's one of, you know, our, our, our beliefs and one of the huge values of being a student and a family at Hillel. And we know how hard it was to be in those whole grade classes. And again, I think it was just a product of that 24 hour turnaround, but we are absolutely committed to maintaining the smaller class sizes. And even actually a lot of what we've been talking about is how to, how to have, if we have to go back remote, continue to have small class size and and offer more of like what we've been calling win or you know some type of office hours situation with teachers because we know how important that very small group or one-on-one -on -one connection was during that remote learning. Thank you. Thank you, Shalom. That was a, a, a very important question. Um, Jen Friedman, you have, I think you have a question. I do. Um, in thinking about the kids rotating classes, typically wanting to mix up the kids, um, factoring in the new health protocols, is that on the table as something to minimize also? Yeah. Um, hi, Jen. It is definitely on the table. Um, as of right now, all the suggestions are to minimize the mixing and the movement as much as possible, which we are discussing at length. Obviously, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, this gets more complicated with the heater and the math. Um, but we are going to try and keep students with the same group as much as it makes developmental and academic sense, balancing both obviously number one keeping our kids healthy and safe and also making sure that we're providing them with the right academic settings but it's absolutely something that we're figuring out and and you know not having them mix in the halls as much as we usually would all those type of things in addition we're trying to have teachers go to the classrooms as much as possible again it won't work 100 percent of the time but we're trying to minimize that traffic as well, but then also balancing kids want to see each other. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a balancing act, but we're, we're thinking about all that. Makes sense. Thanks. And if I can add, you can imagine that there are literally thousands of questions that we have to answer. So this morning we were talking about lockers in middle school. Lockers are a big deal. Like where's your, where's your locker? Who's your locker near? And, we want to honor that while also 
making sure that kids go to their lockers in a safe manner. So just know that all of these are, we know these are all questions and issues that we have to address and they will be addressed, they will be answered, they will be communicated to you. I think the more that we engage with this process, the word that keeps coming up is balance. Balance between satisfying health and safety protocols and letting teenagers be teenagers. And if we find that balance, and it might not be perfect at first, and then we will make changes and we will make updates, feedback from parents, feedback from the kids, but maintaining that balance, I think, is the only approach that will work. So Jen, does that answer your question? It does, thanks so much. Okay, you're welcome. Um, these are great. This is, this is so helpful, so informative. Um, I see your hand, Eden, let me just take a scroll through. Okay, Eden, please, you're on mute. Hi, sorry, I'll be quick. Um, you know, everyone runs their homes and their families differently, obviously. Um, and what I noticed on remote learning, and I think I've already verbalized this a couple times, um, is that there are some kids that, like Zachary and a couple other kids, for example, they'd go on the Google Hangout early so they could hang out and see each other and talk to each other before class. Um, and then Zachary would get into class and the kids that maybe are disruptive normally in physical school are then also disruptive on remote learning and unfortunately it becomes disrespectful to the teachers and I know that that's very hard to manage but if we're going back into remote into regular school and now they're going to be limited to the same kids in their class which I completely understand um, how are you going to manage that how are we going to make sure um, that the kids are able to be um, with the group of kids they want to be with. Um, obviously, if they can't be together at lunch and then they can't be together in their specials and they're with one or two other people, how are we going to manage that as well? So, great questions, Eden. I think that, you know, we worked a lot actually on the behavior management side of the remote learning because it was new to everyone. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Part of, it, part of it was us learning and also the platforms learning that now that schools nationwide were using these platforms, we needed more tools to be able to like actually literally control who was in and out of the classroom speak right. when, which sounds sort of like a dictatorship, but not like in that choice. Way, just, right. right. And in a way that you would structure a classroom with behavior management as well. And that, that sort of drastically improved very quickly over those three months. And so I have confidence that both our teachers and the platforms are ready should we go back to remote learning. Um, as well as some, you know, we work very closely with a lot of families on that. So I think that piece was a huge learning curve and I feel really comfortable going back to remote learning. The, the management actually, you know, everyone's like up at three in the morning thinking about these things. And, and I was up two nights ago thinking about the behavior management. If we go back to school, which everyone hopes we do, right. we have to look different, right? If we're not having kids all throughout the building, if we're not having tons of people in and out. But I, I feel really strongly that 
that same sense that you were having that if you're with a group even more so than we were before, it's really important for that group to be a really cohesive learning community. And so I think there's two pieces to that. One is that learning community from the beginning and setting very clear expectations and norms within that learning community. So both in the small group and in the 7-8 community as a whole, more so probably than we've even done in the past. And I think that's very possible, especially knowing how important that community building may be if we're gonna have to head back into remote learning. And so the teachers have already voiced above and beyond how much they will focus on that in the beginning of the year because it will be so pivotal if we move back into remote learning. And then, so, you know, in my position, just making sure that I'm supporting the teachers and the students with those structures and really working with individual students if they're struggling. So I think everyone feels that the weight of that and, and it will be a huge focus when we return to school. So are we saying that um, if there's 43 kids in the grade, for example, only so many of them are going to be together and see each other. And so there's, there's, is there going to be opportunities for grade, the grade to be together or not so much, at least starting out? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Okay. I think right now, right. the recommendations are that they wouldn't all be together in the same space, at least indoors. I think the other, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that I can imagine very easily kids being able to sit socially distanced and eat lunch outside, right? The, the, the possibility of catching the virus outside is so much slimmer than inside. And so we, we may have kids who, who like outdoor recess a lot better now than they ever have before. Zachary will be there, I can guarantee it. <laughs> they can play outside, you know, in a very different way than they're gonna be able to play inside. So I think that using the, our outdoor spaces, although that may not look exactly the same and it may be more scheduled than it has in the past will be a huge benefit to our kids. Um, I just, I worry about the mental health because I feel like if the mental absolutely. health part of it isn't there, then the educational part of it is going to fall. So. Yeah. And that's, that is like at the forefront of our radar. We've been talking about that for weeks. We're going to webinars. We're reading articles. As Kim said, people are being trained. So we totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. I want to jump Sorry, in. I won't monopolize anymore. I want to jump in. to jump in. I want to jump in for one second because Google released this morning a list of updates that are coming, and I know one of our big concerns with remote learning this round was the safety and security of the kids while they were in these online environments. And um, Zoom had um, Zoom had features that Google Meet didn't. We used Google Meet because of the safety and security. Google just announced six amazing features that will be ready come fall. They did their best to adapt on the fly. And part of what Melissa and Barbara and everyone has spoken to is spending some of the time at the beginning of the year for in-person teaching those discrete technology skills, which will then enable us to open up Google Meet so the kids could set up their own play dates, so to speak, and do things that we had locked down this year because we didn't have the skills in order to um, enable the kids to do that. But the breakout rooms are going to be in Google Meet where teachers can put the kids in groups and then be in every single room, which wasn't something we had available this year. So the technology is adapting to meet our ever-changing needs at a pretty rapid pace, which is good, good news. 
And one thing I want to add, Eden, and everybody else, with respect to when we are back on campus is this will be an evolving situation. Let's say for the first two weeks, just to get everybody back in the building, we really keep kids in pods and then use our outdoor space where they can have a physical distance kind of lunch. Let's say two weeks into the school year, we see that there is, there's, there's not this predicted spike yet and that maybe we can relax a little bit with how the kids are um, being mixed up. It's really gonna be an evolving situation for every school and every company and organization throughout the year. But I think the most important message, which I will reiterate as the incoming head of school with this amazing team who I'm working with is that the mental and emotional and social health of your children is just as important to us as their academic progress. One cannot happen with the other, and every academic decision we make always has the overlay of, and Kim is right in there every time saying, what we have to, how is this going to affect them mentally, emotionally, and socially? So please know that. Thank you. Okay, um, Melissa's iPhone has a question. Melissa. Yeah, first of all, I want to see, am I in the right meeting? There was some confusion, and I don't see any of my daughter's uh, other parents on this call. Is this for incoming 7th and 8th graders? or? Yes, you're, you're, you're in the right place. Oh, okay, because I was thought I was on Thursday no. call at 7 p.m. I have a feeling a lot of parents. No, no, Amy. Should, oh, no, it's current. It's current. Yeah, no, Missy, you can. I mean, Missy, if you find this interesting, you're welcome to stay, but you could, it's for it was for current as of last week. So this is for, you know, you call them now. Yeah, that's nine. what I thought. So I'll just see you guys Thursday at 7 p.m. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Okay. Somebody just texted me and thought we were supposed to be on this call another parent. I'm like, no, we're Thursday at 7 p.m. I will see you then. <laughs> All good, thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. I've got a quick question about um, the curriculum. Um, and, it, it, there, and maybe this has been talked about, I, I maybe I, I missed it, but is the curriculum going to move over towards a hybrid curriculum to where if you have to move from in-classroom learning to remote learning, that's going to maintain the same curriculum, just be able to convert over to doing it remotely without having to like change the whole curriculum as you're going along? And will it be something where, uh, I guess, the parents will be I guess it'd be easier for them to stay on top of, like in a college, you know, you get a syllabus, you know, step-by-step step what you're supposed to accomplish each week. Um, and with the remote learning, I think that's hard to keep track of how that compared to what, this, what, what uh, was expected in the normal school year. So my, guess, my question is, is there going to be like kind of a remote uh, curriculum this year that can switch back and forth and it can be easily tracked by the parents? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we were again the the idea of balance will come up because i think that idea of, of having a syllabus and and knowing exactly what you're doing week by week makes a lot of sense for older students it doesn't necessarily teach the skills at a place where our students are ready to learn them however we are talking a lot about with teachers when they're looking at their whole year really understanding their curriculum from a place of what do I have to teach you know, in school and what can I teach remotely and how can I be prepared throughout the year to do either of those things? 
And so really knowing if they have to toggle between the two, what that's going to look like. For example, you know, when we switched to remote learning, David Venning could not do all of the hands-on projects that he planned on doing in the classroom, nor could he get those materials to every family. So that was a huge learning experience for our teachers to know, great, if we can do those projects in school, we know that those are unbelievable learning experiences, group projects, they're learning those skills. And yet we also know we have these other things planned and ready to go that teach the same skills that are within the same curriculum, but in a way that makes more sense for remote learning. So it's a lot of work on our teachers part in, in planning for that. But everybody knows in the long run, if we're switching, it, it's going to be less work because they're, they're prepared to do it. So they'll have a sense going into the year what that looks like. We haven't yet talked about, you know, how much kids will know, and that will probably differ depending on the age group of the kids. We're also looking at making sure we streamline our technology platforms for parent access so that you will have very easy access to everything your kids are doing. So that is a high priority of the Ed Task Force to find the best platform to make this as smooth for families as possible. I also want to address another question that came to me in the chat. YouTube has proven to be um, tricky for a lot of people and we actually unlocked all of our blocking once we went remote with the exception of some of the obvious. However, because of the way YouTube's algorithm, algorithms are set up, we understand that videos were still blocked for kids. We are investigating two platforms actually that allow us to filter the YouTube link so that it will bypass any um, blocking servers. One of them is called ViewPure, and one of them I think is called SafeShare, and they are platforms where the teachers would paste the YouTube link into that platform, and then the regenerated link is what would go to kids, and that regenerated link will block out the um, filters, and it will be curated links, so it's not like giving kids free reign on YouTube, but it will eliminate the issue of teachers sharing links that kids then can't access. So thank you, Marnie. And actually, before I answer uh, Stacy's question, or let someone answer Stacy's question. So Shalom, I want to sort of address what Marnie just explained shows you the three phases that every school went through starting in the middle of March. So starting on March 16th, Hillel, my own school where I am right now, we were in triage mode, right? We were in, a, in, a, in an emergency situation and Hillel put a remarkable program together in 72 hours. Triage then moved to adaptation and that's what's happened over the past three months. The program was adapted so that we could make it the best we, it could be for this spring. Schools are now moving from adaptation to resilience. And that's where we will wind up in the fall. And that is exactly the, the process that Marnie described with YouTube. That is exactly what schools are moving towards to come up with a system that, will, that we can put into place forever. And so in, in one respect, I have to say, this is a benefit of what we just went through over the past three months, because we will now have a much better handle on the tools that we can use for education. So just wanted to 
mention those three phases and where all schools are, and certainly where Hillel is. So I want to say this has been incredibly helpful, fruitful, insightful. I think we've gained a lot of um, a good perspective. And the reason that we wanted the seventh and eighth grade parents here is because we wanted to know from you what worked well, what didn't work well as we move from adaptation to resilience over the summer. So I want to thank you all for being here. Um, if you had an eighth grader who just graduated, Mazal Tov, I look forward to meeting you and your, and your recent graduate. If you have a rising eighth grader, um, I look forward to meeting you and your kids. And I, we all pray that we are back in the building in the fall. That is our plan because you can hear if we can get in the building in the fall, which is what we're moving towards, we will be able to set ourselves up for a very, very successful year. If anybody, does anybody else have any, any parting thoughts or questions? We can all unmute and say goodbye and wish, wish you all Thank a you, very, everyone. very happy summer. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Summer. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for being here.